You are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. We're going to be looking at a few different places in Scripture tonight, but we're going to be looking at a fun topic called generational curses. Isn't that what you've always wanted to talk about, right? Okay. Um, How many of you have ever heard in Scripture where it talks about the dangers of the sins of the father, and that has scared you just a little bit, okay, right? Uh, it'll talk about how the sins of the father will go uh, down to the third and fourth generation, uh, and some of you might have some characters in your family that, that frightens you just a little bit. And so what I want us to do is I want us to unpack what God's Word says about generational curses and what it doesn't say, and, and I also want you to know about, um, you know, this is 15 weeks we've spent on the family, and I, I told this in... Uh, the evening service tonight. I don't think I said it this morning. But um, originally this sermon series was supposed to be about six weeks long. I think we're going to go Mother's Day to Father's Day. But as the year was progressing, there's just more and more stuff that you see of people that are going through. And I was like, you know what? We're just going to take our time because the family is just sometimes Satan's playground. Just to come in and mess stuff up. And so we just decided we're going to take as long as we need to. And so 15 weeks on this. Uh, but as many of you know this also, you start going at something like this, and you know what? There's going to be a lot of spiritual warfare going on. And there's a lot of stuff that kind of, I would say this, I think this sermon series has almost uh, revealed a lot of the issues that have been there, you know, and kind of said, okay, we need to address them and to do something with it. And so this is why I think that tonight this topic is very important for us to talk about. Uh, God's Word exposes numerous issues for any family to address in order to walk in conformity with His standard and design. We know that. God's Word teaches us certain things and helps us to address to walk in conformity, to be right where He needs to be. But a misunderstanding of generational curses can discourage people from making noble attempts to turn a family's legacy around. If you follow the concept of the generational curse the way that I always thought about it was, some of you have no chance to have a good life, okay, based on how some people say it, right? Well, you know, God's just going to visit the sins of your great-granddaddy, and you know your great-granddaddy was messed up, okay? And, and that can make you go, well, goodness, is there any help for me at all? And I believe that in God's Word, there's always, always help. In Proverbs seventeen twenty-five, it says that a foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him, Right? Now, I know there's no mama who would ever say that your child has been bit. Well, okay, maybe some of you might say, no, I've had that child that I thought, what in the world? Like, wake up. I want you to see these things. But a foolish son is grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. Proverbs is scattered with all of these different types of thinking. And through this, though, there is a different type of bitterness and grief that comes about, not only through the son's sins, but what Scripture will talk about, the father's sins or the, the generations before us that I felt like that tonight was such an important least concept for us to understand from God's Word. The reality of the curse, because it is something that's mentioned in Scripture, and it's mentioned quite often, so let's, let's talk about it here. Since the fall of mankind, we have all lived under a generational curse, starting with Adam and Eve. I don't know if you ever thought about it that way, but when Adam and Eve sinned, guess what? There were consequences, were there not? And it says that now... All who are part of their family line are what's called born in original sin, which means this. We are a part of generational stop saying that all of us are bent and determined towards sin. We all bear that consequence and curse of sin. Many of you know this. It did not take too long for you to have a child to realize they came in the world sinning, right? Okay. As soon as they had the opportunity to make a decision for themselves, they would say, hey, if it had just been me in the Garden of Eden, I would have sinned. Okay. I would have done this on my own. 
But so with this, we all, if you think about it, we've all lived under a generational curse, starting with Adam and Eve, because if, if we are born in original sin, if, if, if Adam and Eve have sinned, and like what Romans 5.12 says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through what? One man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. So this scripture is saying we are all born into sin. We come through this because, wow, we all come from Adam and Eve. We all come from one family. And you go, well, that's not right because you know what? That's just unfair that we would have to live in that. And I would say this to everybody here. That last phrase that says because all sinned, guess what? If Adam and Eve wouldn't have sinned and if it got down to you, guess what? You'd have taken the opportunity to do it, right? <laughs> if it had been just us, we would have come alongside at some point and we would have done we would have sinned against God as well. So death comes to all people. So the curse, if you remember in Genesis 3, right? God gives curses to Adam, Eve, and even the serpent, right? Serpent, he says, all right, you're not going to be walking around anymore. You're going to be on your belly all the days of your life, and you're going to strike at the heel of man. But guess what? One day a seed of a woman is going to come and crush your head. It's the promise of Jesus Christ coming, born of a virgin, and all the way in Genesis 3, 15, saying how Jesus was going to come in defeat. So at the moment where Satan struck him in the heel through the, if you think through it, the, the nails going through his heel, that at that same moment he's being crushed in his head, a decisive victory over it. Uh, the woman, she gets pain in childbearing. And all the women would say, mm-hmm, right? You would say amen and testify to that. It also said there's going to be a kind of conflict sometimes between in your family about who's in charge and who's supposed to be doing this. And there's going to be conflict there. For men, the consequences are going to be work is now going to be toilsome. Uh, you're going to sweat and it's not going to be fun. Thorns and thistles. You're going to pick up good stuff that you thought would be helpful and actually going to hurt you. And also this, one day you are going to die. Death has now entered the scene. Never been up to this point, but at this place, now death has entered the scene. And so Adam and Eve are going to sin, and the wages of sin is what? Death. And that is promised that if anybody would have had that opportunity, all of us would have chosen sin, and sin, that generational curse, would go down through it. Now, punishment, or if you look at Psalm 51, 5, I'm sorry, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. This is the... Um, uh, King David saying this after his sin with Bathsheba. Now, this verse is kind of awkward. I'm going to be straight. You know, if you, if you just read it the way it is, like, well, did David's mom do something wrong to having this child? I don't think that's what this is saying. I think he's saying this. We are all born in original sin. The curse is passed through us. Every single person comes from Adam. And guess what? All of us, all of us are in sin. So even in sin, like before I'm there, like I have sin's curse upon me. And just give me enough time, and guess what? I'll get around to sinning, you know? However many months, years, whatever it takes, but I will get around to it because all of us are born in sin. If you think about it, um, Matthew and Luke are the two Gospels that have genealogies in, of Jesus, okay? Mark just jumps into the action. John goes into a little sermon. and But Matthew and Luke, they go genealogy. Matthew goes all the way back to Abraham. You know why? Because he's writing to a Jewish audience, and the father of the Abraham faith was a guy by the name of Abraham. And he wants to say, hey... This Jesus came from Abraham. He also came from King David. He is your Messiah. He's your king. He's the one that's been promised. Luke, though, doesn't stop at Abraham. Guess who he goes all the way back to? Adam. Why? Because Luke wasn't a Jewish person. What was he? He was a Gentile. And everybody comes from one people, right? If we go all the way back to Adam, he's saying we all come from there. And so Luke says, I'm not a part of the Jewish family. I'm a part of everybody else. And guess what? The Jews and the Gentiles both, they can all trace their way back to Adam. We can all trace ourselves back to Adam. And that's 
good and kind of a like, oh, let's all give the world a big hug. We're all part of the same family. But in reality, it's also saying this. We're in sin. It is passed on us, the curses that are there. Now, we think through sin's curse and sin's punishment. Punishment originates from continued rebellion and natural consequences. If we think about any type of punishment that we see throughout Scripture, we know punishment originates from continued rebellion and natural consequences. Okay? So if anybody thinks it's wrong of God to make us pay for the sin of Adam and Eve, my question is, well, have you continued the rebellion in your own life? Right? Is there anybody here who says, well, I've never sinned. I shouldn't get that. If you think that, you are now in pride and lying. You are already even in deeper sin than when you started, right? Okay? For all of us, we know this. We're, it's continued rebellion. Uh, I hate to say this, but if you think about father, you know, our father as Adam all the way back, like father, like son, like mother, like daughter. We are inheriting and we are carrying on that continued rebellion. And also there are natural consequences. God gives them in the garden consequences about their decisions. But there's also natural consequences. Folks, when you're a little kid and you hit somebody, typically what's going to happen? Somebody's going to hit you back. Or either you're going to get spanking, right? Okay, whatever. Like somebody's going to get you. Okay, if you do this. Uh, you steal money from somebody, the natural consequences, if you get caught, you're going to have to pay that and then some, right? There, there's natural consequences that take place for people who walk away from some situation from their family. There's natural consequences that you can go, God, why are you letting me go through this? And he's saying, you chose this. These are just the consequences of your decisions. And so the reality of the curse, we have to realize this. If anybody thinks it's weird that how somehow we are Adam and Eve and it all passes along to us, we have to realize there's continued rebellion, right? Continued on from here and natural consequences. Go on now to Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 18. And what do you notice? It says, you show steadfast love to thousands. That's, that's a good word, right? But you repay the guilt of fathers to their children after them, O great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts. Now, yeesh, okay? You repay the guilt of you repay the guilt of fathers to their children after them, O great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts. Now, you read that verse, and some of that, that scares you a little bit, right? Now, what prophet wrote this? What's Jeremiah. All right, let's think about Jeremiah for a second. Does anybody remember context of where Jeremiah is? Uh, he is right before, if you think chronologically, right before Daniel, okay? So he is calling out his people, don't keep sinning or else what? God's going to let a pagan nation come in here and wipe you guys out, and we're going to be in trouble. Well, what's the problem is that if, if my sins as a dad continue to rebel against God, and now God comes and visits the sins upon me and exiles me into Babylon, guess who also has to suffer those consequences? Uh, Amanda, Obadiah, Eli, Gloria, they all have to suffer the consequences. Why? Because they're dad. So here, here it is. Now, one day, in, in, in Daniel's case, right, in Jeremiah's case, if you think about it, one day the fathers of those families died and moved on. And guess who was still walking in those consequences? Kids were. Well, why are we having to live in Babylon? It's dad's fault and all his friends not following the Lord. And God is saying, and if you were the adults at the time, guess what? Same situation. Same situation. You'd have been doing just the same things walking away. So he says, yes, I show steadfast love to thousands, but folks, we cannot get away from this, this thought that sometimes for God to allow natural consequences or his even divine punishment to come on, guess what? Family might feel it. The next generation might feel it. Now let's unpack to make sure what that is and what it's not. 
because if you think about it, right, that when um, God gets our attention, right, when he brings punishment into our lives, it's like when your parent would punish you. Nobody stands there and goes, thank you for that, right? I just sure do appreciate that. In the moment, punishment is not pleasing in the moment. But it's supposed to teach us something, right? It's supposed to teach us something. And when I, when I think through, um, so uh, when I was in high school, I, I played football and then I played soccer for our high school. Um, and towards the end of my um, high school years, I stopped playing football because I did think our coach was a sadist and he might try to feed us to his dogs. That's another story for another day. But I continued <laughs> to play soccer. I enjoyed doing that. Uh, and, and, and But I was never a very good technical soccer player. Have you ever seen the guys and gals, and they get the soccer ball and they can do all these kind of tricks and kicks and flips, whatever. I couldn't do that. I was just big and I could take anybody out, right? So they put me on defense. I'd be in the back. If anybody got in the box, I'm in a clean house, right? Okay, I would just slide tackle. I mean, you would... Literally, one of my coaches said, this is what Travis looks like, boom, boom, from one end of the field to the next, just going back and forth, just saying, you see bodies flying everywhere, which I said, thank you very much, coach. Um, and so one game, though, was getting very, very escalated, uh, and things were getting very, very tense. Our team, uh, being from Greenwood, South Carolina, we had a lot of what you might call rednecks. I don't know if you've ever heard that term, okay, but we had a lot of guys who just like to fight, okay? They just like to fight. Um, so... Um, we had, when I was a freshman, there were so many bench clearings where, like, somebody pushed somebody down, and all the guys were, like, were storming the field and wanting to get in a fight. And I'm like this little tiny freshman. They're like, you coming with us. I'm like, okay. I was, like, running after them, right? And it was just, it was so, so there were so many, so many issues that um, the league had suspended Greenwood High that we had certain rules, and then our athletic director had extra rules. So if you got what's called a red card, you did some type of foul, you're out for that game and the next game according to the state standard, but our school upped it and matched it. So now you're out two games for a red card, which is unthinkable, right? Well, one game my senior year, I'm, I'm, you know, it's getting a little escalated, whatever. I slide tackle like I do typically somebody. The guy may or may not have flown into the fence. I don't know. It's my fault he was little. I just I had gotten the ball, so that's, that's the rule, right? If you can get the ball and then you happen to, like, knock him over, you're not really fouling anybody, right? So I got the ball clean, got somebody, and the guy may have thrown into the fence, whatever. Okay, so I slide tackle and move, and then all of a sudden the referee comes out and throws a red card to me. And I was like, What? I mean, everybody in the crowd was going nuts because that was like, it wasn't a dirty play. It wasn't that big of a deal. I'm going absolutely crazy. You know, I'm arguing with him. He sends me out. After the game, the referee comes up to me and says, son, I need to tell you something. He goes, that didn't, it didn't deserve a red card, but I had to make an example of somebody. <laughs> Come again? He said, it wasn't worth a red card, but things were getting escalated, so I just had to take an opportunity to get everybody to calm down. So just sorry, that was you. And I said, well, guess what, buddy? My athletic director is sitting over there on the third row, and he's going to match the suspension. And this is my senior year. And that means the rest of my senior season is over because we ain't making it to the playoffs because all we do is fight. And listen to me. like, And so I go, never forget go to the athletic director. And I was like, Coach Dula, you saw this. You know, whatever. I said, you know, that wasn't a dirty foul. And he's like, yeah, I know. But, Travis, you got to understand, i got to be a man of my word. And I said, no, you do not. You know me. I know you. You love me. I want to love you. But right now I'm questioning this like you know I, I don't deserve this right he goes I know but one day you're going to step back and you're going to look and say I'm a man of my word and we've got to fall by the rule and just because I like you doesn't mean I can back off these rules I got to implement this or else no one's going to listen to anything I say one day you're going to thank me and I said no I will not and I walked out and I finished my senior season as an assistant assistant coach for the last couple of games right to this day if coach Dula sees me he's like 
do you thank me yet? I go, no, I do not. Okay, like we don't have this joke. But I understand, I, as we play, I, I do understand you make a rule and you got to live by it, right? You have to. And if you don't live by it, what happens is everybody else learns they don't have to follow the rules. And if, and if you have to make an example of somebody and somebody has to punish and somebody has the consequences on them, guess who else suffers? Everybody around them, right? Uh, you know, everybody else on the team goes, oh, now we're down another guy and the big guy who likes to take everybody out, like we don't have him. Now the, the team is affected by it. And yet we know this to be true that all of us go, okay, you feel bad for me in that moment. But folks, even if the ref should or should not have done it, the athletic director says, if I back off of what my standards are, guess what? Chaos will ensue, mm-hmm. right? So sometimes when God says, I'm going to let these natural consequences come in your life, it's for our good. And sometimes you go, it's not fair. And he goes, actually, it is. Because it's got to keep us all in, in where we need to be. And so sometimes God allows certain things to happen in our life that's not good, that's painful, that's something to struggle with, that we go with, and we go, oh, I just wish this wouldn't happen, right? But we know this to be truth, that God sometimes allows us to come in, allows things to happen in our life, allows destruction and punishment and all kinds of things that we don't want. But I think all of us here know this next truth that's important for us to understand when he does that. That a spiritual injury can be more devastating than physical death. And so even when he allows punishment to come into our lives, that spiritual injury, if he does not wake us up sometimes, the the damage can be worse. So what I mean by that is that it's so important for us to understand that if we think through that sometimes God will wake us up, why? Because if we don't stop in our sin, it's going to continue to cause more and more issues, right? And and so this is where it comes from. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 6, Jesus says some of the most shocking words I've ever read in my life. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. If that doesn't disturb you a little bit, you're not really thinking about it. Because Jesus said, you know what would be better is if before you sin and cause punishment in your life and maybe your own kids to fall in those patterns, because guess what he's saying? Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, folks, our example could actually lead to further generations continuing on our patterns of sin. He goes, it'd be better for your life just to be cut short right here and right now than the next generation to follow you. So you see why God sometimes allows punishment to come upon us? He allows punishment to come upon us because of how serious of an issue this is. Now, the explanation of the curse, let, let's look at this really quick because it, it is important for us to understand that when we hear these words to make sure that we're not reading into it what God's not saying, God does not hold you responsible for any sins other than your own. Okay, This is true throughout Scripture. It's important for us to remember that God does not hold you responsible for any sins other than your own. Okay. And you might say, that's plenty, right? My, my own load is enough for me, right? It is enough for me to struggle with and to go through on my own. But God does not hold you responsible for your any sins other than your own. Look what Ezekiel 18.20 says. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. Is that clear enough, everybody? Son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. You will not have to pay the consequences for your dad's sin. Your dad will not have to pay the consequences for your sin. Now that's encouraging, right? So you go, okay, so now we're getting a little bit closer to, now it's getting even more confusing. What does this really, really mean? I think what the scripture is teaching us is right here. The sins of the father punish future generations when they become sins of the children, right? 
sins of the father in the fullest extent punish future generations when they become the sins of the children. And this is, I think, what is um, so sobering for me to consider. Is that you want to talk about how sins can further punish the next generations as if it comes down to that my children repeat the example that they've only seen in me. Right? Um, hostile parents often produce hostile children. Right? And so it's, it's one thing for my sins. And, and so, so if I have, if, if, if you or I, if we had hostile parents, God's not going to say, when you get to heaven, you're going to have to pay the consequences for those sins. No. But the reality of, of family sins, if they're not addressed, the example either allows us to repeat that or causes us to, in dysfunction, kind of try to overcompensate for it and sometimes get in other situations. And, and if we're not careful, those types of traits continue on our lives. We've all laughed before. Have you ever said something to your kids or a family member and you're like, oh my goodness, I sound just like my dad, right? Or I sound just like my mom. You never thought it would happen and it just comes out, right? But in a real sense, a lot of those things can take place that if we're not careful. Um, Deuteronomy 24, 16, look what he says here. Fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. Oh, that's encouraging. You, you kind of want the verse to end before the last sentence, right? Nobody's going to die. Well, actually, some of you would die, but it's going to be for your stuff, okay? Nobody else's. Now, folks, let's put this in a New Testament context. Does that make sense, right? The wages of sin is? Death. Is death for every single one of us. None of us, all of us are in the curse of Adam. We all walk in sin. We are straying from God. And we know this to be true, but God is saying this. You will not die because your parents or your forefathers or your foremothers because they sin. No, no, no. And your kids aren't going to have to pay the penalty of your sin. But you know what? Every single one of us are going to have to bear what we've done before God, right? Um, you don't get into heaven because you walk in there and all of a sudden you say, well, my mom was a Christian. You go, big deal. What have you done, right? Same way, God's not going to say, well, your daddy used to do this, right? No, 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 you're, you're going to stand on your own merits or on your own mistakes throughout this. There is no escaping the fact that a parent's sin negatively affects their children. Can we all agree on that? Okay, no, no escaping that fact that a parent's sin negatively affects their children. Um, right now, I am reading a uh, biography of one of my favorite um, musicians, Christian artists, a guy by the name of Rich Mullins. Okay, anybody Rich Mullins? You know the guy? 80s, uh, a little bit of 90s would write songs like Awesome God and Step by Step, and that's what he's famous for. But if you listen to albums, the guy's just brilliant, brilliant songwriter. Um, I always, uh, he was the reason why I wanted to get a hammered dulcimer because I thought it was the most beautiful instrument I'd ever heard in my life. And he plays it a lot better than I do. I just kind of bang on a couple notes, but I, I want to, you know, I'll listen to it and just brilliant. But, um, there was a movie that was made about him and this biography also kind of walks through it. But what's so interesting is, is that so much of Rich Mullen's spiritual journey all had to do with the fact of him longing for the affirmation of his earthly father which he never had. His dad never said, I'm proud of you. I like the music that you're making. In fact, his dad went to his grave and never said these words to his son, I love you. And so, I've said this a few times in the church, and I'll say it again, sometimes it's hard for people to divorce that thought from how God views you when your earthly father views you a certain way, right? And so Rich kind of struggled with this, and one of his mentors 
Brennan Manning was really trying to make him, after his uh, earthly father had passed, he made him write, Rich write a letter to his father and to write a letter from his father to him of what he thinks he probably meant to say but just never could get around to it or never felt comfortable to. And then he sent him back to his room and said, now I want you to write a letter to God and I want you to write a letter on what you think God thinks about you as your heavenly father. And he said at one point as uh, Brendan Manning was recounting this story, he said, the sobbing in Rich's room through the walls was so intense that I would just begin to cry too. <laughs> Here's this guy who is walking in frailty and so much of the struggles he had in his life all because of this, right? He's just walking in some of this baggage of not dealing with it. And, and yes, he's got his own decisions, but walking through those sins so negatively affects their own children. Scripture says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows that he will what? He'll also reap. And I, I believe that that goes down to our family. It's kind of like the... Um, all right, this is, a, I think, a 1970s song, maybe late 60s, early 70s, Cats in the Cradle, anybody? Okay, okay, okay. Wait, well, yeah, Cat Stevens, what year was that-ish? Okay, that's what I was saying before my time. just want to put that down, but I do remember it, okay? And I love the song because you remember the trick of what the song is, right? Here's this dad who doesn't have time for his son at the end of his life. Now he's like, I want to spend time with you. He's like, guess what, dad? Joke's on you. <laughs> I'm going to follow your example. I don't have time for you now, right? And here's this picture that so eloquently in about four minutes says, that's the picture, right? Sins of the father, sins of the mother. It's separate and continues to go down. So what we sow, not only into our own lives, but we sow into our family, we, we reap sometimes. We cause dysfunction, we cause conflict, we cause drama, whatever, and it, it reaps and continues to go on from there. There is no denying the fact that sinful behaviors can easily be learned and imitated, Right? In your family, my family, there's no denying it. Sinful behaviors can easily be learned and imitated. So if you think about um, all the way back in the book of Genesis, um, when God chose one man to start a nation with, I've already mentioned this, but his name was what? Abraham, right? Abraham. Um, Genesis chapter 12, out of nowhere, Abraham comes on the scene. And God says, I'm going to bless you, boy. For what? So you can be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. You know what we have, at that point, you know what Abraham had done noteworthy? Zilch. We've not seen anything good. He kind of seems like this random guy. They tell him where his family comes from, and all of a sudden God says, Abraham, I love you, and I'm going to love you, and I'm going to bless you, and one day somebody's going to come from your family. He's going to bless all the nations of the earth. So now you expect, you know what you're expecting to see? Abraham's going to do something really noble, something incredible, something that we read about and we go, oh, that's why God chose that guy. He helped a little old lady across the street. He you knows saved somebody from a burning building. He did something where he preached a great sermon. The next thing, the only the first thing we see about Abraham's character. You ready for this? He walks into a city. The king of the city and all the men of the city see that his wife's really pretty, and he whispers over at her, Hey, if they ask you who you are, just tell them you're my sister, because I don't want them to kill me, okay? That seems like a really noble man, right, ladies? Right? Okay, the kind of guy you're like, oh, yeah, I want him to marry my, my daughter, right? Like, like, this is horrible. And what's crazy is, is implied at one point, one of the kings, when he finds out, goes, what have you done and brought her into my house like this and now I'm in sin? It's implying what? It's more than they flirted now. This is, she's lived with him, okay? Abraham actually does it two times in this narrative. Second time, years later, he does it again. You know what's most interesting, unless you've read the entire book of Genesis? Guess who else did the same thing? His son. 
his son Isaac. Look at this. Genesis 26, 7. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister. For he feared to say my wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. Did you catch that? Sins of the father repeated the sins of the children. He repeats the example. Not only does he watch his, well, he obviously wasn't around. How does he even catch this up, right? Like Abraham and Isaac, what are they doing? Like a little campfire one night? Oh, yeah, by the way, when I was in this city, I told everybody she was my sister or whatever. It's like, oh, good note. And he learned, I mean, like, oh, what kind of sick, twisted family is this, right? Like they really, when you read Genesis, there is hope for your family, okay? When you read it, like if they're that messed up and it's good came from that, maybe there's hope for us, okay? Like however that works for you. But here's Isaac doing the same thing to his wife that his father did to his mother twice. And I'm saying, why, why did that happen? Because the sins of the father just repeats and goes down to it. So, so how do we reverse this curse? Because if you're like me, you think through, all right, there's some unsavory characters in my family lineage that I'm kind of worried about. Like, if I'm going to have to bear all this. What, what does that mean? Um, well, I think deep down, first and foremost, we have to understand what Scripture says, that you will not bear a generational curse if Christ has already borne the curse for you. There are going to be effects and consequences for sure. But folks, there is not a curse upon you because Christ himself has become that curse for us, is what Scripture teaches. Yes, there's consequences. Yes, there's things that, that can... But, but the, the, the basic stuff, right, the most important thing right here is what Galatians 3.13 tells us. Christ redeemed us from the what? From the curse of the law by becoming a what? Curse for us. You and I are not cursed. Jesus Christ became that curse. And if we still are cursed, that means what he did on the cross was insufficient. And I don't think anybody in here believes that, right? So if, if he says that under sin, we're under a curse. So we're under the curse of Adam. Christ comes along and says, I'll take that curse upon me and I'll, I'll go to the cross for you. I actually became the curse. And so he redeems us from the curse. We don't have to be fearful of it. Why? Because Christ has already paid for it. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to his name. We don't have to bear that anymore. The most important part of who we are, we are not bearing the curse anymore of Adam, uh, your spiritual father, Abraham, David, your earthly father or mother. We're not bearing any of that. Why? Because Christ has borne that for us. He has set us free. So the desire for a godly, multi-generational legacy is so that future generations will live mighty lives marked distinctly by holiness. What we want to do now is, if we've been redeemed by the curse, we want to have a multi-generational legacy that is so incredibly different, right? So that future generations can live mighty lives. They can change around. Um, I have a genealogy of my mom's side of the family and you know, there's some interesting stories in it. A lot of it is just these people are born here and then whatever. But there's some interesting stories. Uh, the family reunion is down in Callison, South Carolina, if anybody knows who that is, okay, in Bold Springs Baptist Church, uh, where a lot of my family is from. And, uh, and the remaining members that still gather together, there's all kinds of stories here, right? And so but when I, I think about it, is that somewhere way back when David Rush of what family that I'm from, like, he starts his family out and has all these generations, but deep down, what as a person who's following Jesus we want is a godly multi-generational legacy so that future generations will live mighty lives marked distinctly by holiness. And this is how when Christ comes in and changes us, it should change also the trajectory of our families. Psalm 112 says it this way, Hallelujah, happy is the man who fears the Lord, taking great delight in his commands. That's a good line, right? And listen to this. His descendants will be powerful in the land. 
the generation of the upright will be blessed. Um, I, deep down, you know, um, there, there's one thing for me to say, I want to live my life in a certain way, but so much, uh, especially as a pastor, right, uh, so much of a pastor's reputation can be on his PKs, right? His pastor kids, right? And what they are and who they are not and whatnot. And that can put a whole lot of pressure on kids. And, and I'm so thankful that uh, at least up to this day, I still have three kids who love to be at the church, who love to serve, who love to give, who love to be with every generation of this church. And they just think, um, my boys have been with me here since before 8 o'clock this morning and they didn't want to go home, you know? I gotta go to the hospital and check on somebody. We'll just stay here. We'll go and help. And they've been doing stuff in the storehouse, and they've been doing all kinds of stuff all day long. They haven't helped. Gloria had to go home because because she needed to get some stuff ready for school, and she was not happy about it. She just wants to be here, right? They they love serving and love doing. But but I'll, I'll say that like I also know that everybody says this is a unique window, and I'm going don't set me up for failure here. Maybe they actually do love the Lord. Okay, like this is gonna be a good thing. But but this is this is what I want right here. I. I want my descendants to be powerful in the land. No doubt about it. I'm not, I'm not hiding that. If I got an, a, a goal, objective of mine, it's this, that the generation of the upright will be blessed. I want one day that the greatest thing that I've ever done in the kingdom is that I was Obadiah, Eli, and Gloria's daddy. Sounds like a pretty good legacy to me, you know? Look at what they're doing. Look at where they're going. Look at all the stuff they're able. And they're going, who, you know, who are you? I'm like, I'm their dad. You know, right now I just carry their, their you know, whatever. Like I, I, I shuttle them here. I carry their Bible here. You know, I'm just praying support, whatever. Like, what do you do? I don't do anything other than I'm, I'm their dad, right? I'm proud and, and marching them on. And, and maybe one day, grandkids and great-grandkids, I told y'all what I want to be. I want to be this guy. I'm so seen now, and there's so many of them. I can't even remember all their names. they got to wear name tags at the family reunion. And I'm like, what do you do? Do you follow the Lord? Okay, you know, I'm just going to be that guy. I, I cannot wait. But this is what I want. This is the goal. We're descendants to be powerful in the land. I think we all want that, right? Uh, we want to say, you know what? Here they are charging uh, ahead for what the Lord is causing them to do. And how does that take place? Well, Scripture is going to teach us to resolve to defy any sinful legacy and turn your family around. So, if there are generational punishment curses, right? Things that have been because... Understanding this, Christ is not going to hold you responsible for any sins in your family. In fact, at the cross, we're not held responsible for even our sins anymore. But he does not remove his hand from every single punishment that takes place in a family. You know why? Because it wakes us up a little bit. That's why even in the New Testament it says that um, it's important if a pastor of the church falls in sin, you need to almost put him out in front of everybody and say, this is what he did. And they go, that sounds rude. You know, but it says, so it'll strike fear in everybody else, right? That sounds interesting. Like, let's scare everybody. Oh, they're going to call my stuff out. Like, I, I don't want to go there. And so why would they do that? Say, this is how serious this is. We, we want to wake you up to this. And, and so, so deep down, we don't have these curses that, that Christ is going, but sometimes God allows a punishment on us to wake us up or to wake other people up. And so... Um, I'll be honest, there are some times that I will sit with people whose lives are falling apart, and I may not even be thinking about the sin in which they are committed in, but you know what? When I see what's happening in their life, I go, I don't want to touch that at all. You know, I want to be as far, because you see where it leads. You see where this goes. You see the kids, and you see the, the extended family and the, and the people that are so devastated by it. So what does it cause you to do? It causes you to resolve, I want to turn this thing around. So here is Exodus chapter 20, right? Does anybody know what's contained in this chapter of Scripture? The Ten Commandments. Okay? And this is honestly where 
probably the most prominent place of a generational curse comes from. Okay, um, He's given the commandments, um, no other gods, no idols, um, keep my name holy, keep my day holy. In the middle of this, this is what he says. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. Okay, so stop. So you go, not only my parents, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, God's going to visit that upon me? It's kind of scary, right? All right, <clears throat> real practically, how does God visit? So if you think about Babylon, does that make sense? Grandfather's sin, grandkids experience that pain? Yep. Any of you have a broken home, and have you ever been at a, let's give you an example. You ever been at a kid's birthday party where there's this group of people over here and this group of people over here, and they don't talk, and everybody's kind of awkward, and what is it? It's a sin that happened 40 years ago, but at this great, this grandkid's party, or great-grandkid's party, everybody, why? The iniquity of the fathers are going down to the third and the fourth generation, right? This is what takes place. This is what happens, is that um, if... There's these parents that have this one that sinned in a certain way or did something or they broke home, then yes, the kids feel it, second generation. The grandkids feel it, absolutely they do. Could even the fourth generation feel it? Absolutely they could. You've seen this in your family, haven't you? You've seen. And so it says, he does visit the iniquities of the fathers on the children of the third and fourth generation. So whether it's in Babylon or your family, are there certain things that linger there? And I'll also say, in my family context, there are certain consequences that my parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents have that rightfully scare me away from that type of living. Make sense? That's when a punishment's actually good. So, so the curse in this sense is visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children is that we feel the effects of that sin, but it does not define us anymore. Because look at the second half of this verse. This is where people completely miss it. So... He's jealous, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children of the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to what? Thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So let me ask you a question. How many of you would like $4 or thousands of dollars? Anybody? If I had an opportunity, which one do you say? Of course, I want the thousands, right? I would want the thousands. That's a dumb question. We've, we always focus on how God visits the sins of the Father down to the third and fourth generations, and we miss that the second half of this says, and yet the one who decides to turn this thing around, thousands of generations after him will be, uh, will be blessed. So, do I feel the effects of um, my parents and grandparents and great-grandparents' sin? Yep. Half since I've ever been around, I've felt those effects. But what if one day, somehow there's this, Somebody else opens up this family tree book and it says, Family tree of Travis Agnew Patriarch. That sounds really good, right? Okay, you're pedophilia, okay? Uh, this, this is the guy, this, the, the, the old, old guy in the family that started on this thing off. And it goes down up to thousands of generations. And they say, You know what? This family tree was kind of crooked, but he at least tried to do things God's way. And thousands of generations behind him were blessed because of it. Now that's a legacy, folks. That's awesome, right? Three or four, okay, I'll deal with those consequences and allow it to shape me so that thousands of generations after me will be blessed. You may not be able to erase every trace of a sinful legacy, but you can begin to create something completely different. Amen? You can't, you can't erase it. It's there. I know we've all got baggage. We've all got stuff that we've inherited that we walk with. Sins of the Father, it comes down and we, we feel the effects of it. But you can begin to create something completely different with some of these 
guys that are um, a part of the overcomers and especially with a couple of guys that I, that I spent time with recently, but um, you looking at some of their histories and what you find is a pattern of just repeating, repeating, repeating generation after generation after generation. And they'll hear sins of the Father and they'll go, oh no, I messed up and so are my kids. And then when I show them the end of Exodus chapter 20, verse 6, to say, what if your whole family tree is bent and messed up all the way until right and then at this point this guy comes in and he changes this thing around folks that's an awesome legacy so regardless of how much we messed up what god says is those that he will give to uh showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments so what is our goal our goal is not to sit here and go oh no but i'm going to sit in the consequences of those our goal is to love him and keep his commandments that's what we can do today you know why because we can control that I can't control what people did 20 years ago, 100 years ago. Can't do anything about that. It's done. What can I do? For the sake of the next generations, I can love him and I can keep his commandments to the best of my ability. I pray you will as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to open it up. God, I do pray for our church family as we continue to follow you. Help us to be people of your book, following your spirit, to realizing, yes, we inherit and, and deal with the consequences of the sins of the Father before us. But God, there is steadfast love to thousands of those who love you and keep your commandments. And so, God, that is something we can control. So help us, the strength that you provide to love you, to uh, keep your commandments, so that the generations behind us will be blessed and leave a legacy of faith. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you. We hope to equip you for the work of the ministry.